you would, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we'll look here today in verse, at verses 15 through 17. Colossians chapter 3. As we've been looking in the book of Colossians a little bit and just kind of taking a little bit of time to go through chapter 3, we've uh, noticed a few things. At the beginning of Colossians chapter 3, we see uh, the importance of Christ, uh, of being raised with Christ, the fact that if we are a believer, Christ really should be everything to us. It says even in verse 4 that He is our life. The whole book really helps us understand who Jesus is and why the fact that He is supreme or preeminent over all things. And the fact that Jesus is over everything and because Jesus has, we, are, we have trusted Him, uh, we actually follow Him in the same way. And as, as Colossians 2.6, I believe the theme of this uh, book tells us, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And the same way that we have trusted Christ is the same way that we follow Christ and go forward and follow after Him. I have a friend that made that that makes uh, a little bit of art and uh, and and sells these little stickers and hats. And uh, he says something, but he uses something that's called a rebus, which is a picture of a word and uh, or, or two words. And you're kind of trying to describe something. I think there's the first one we'll see up there. Uh, and I don't I don't know if you can see if you're supposed to guess what this is. Uh, there's a phrase what it is. I don't know if anybody can guess what that is. He art doesn't make much sense, but when you look at it and you play a game like this with the teens on Wednesday night, it's see, you see, oh, broken heart, right? And you see, oh, it's separated. There's a broken heart. And there's another one. Uh, the next one, you may see something like this, and you'd think mind over matter, right? And my friend made, a, made one like this. This isn't his. I didn't copy. Uh, it, this is basically what, it, what he put, and it's on a sticker. And uh, what would this be? Jesus over everything, right? And this is what this passage is really teaching us. In Colossians 3, 15 through 17, and really the whole book, we're going to see the importance of Jesus over everything. Paul exhorted those that are Christians to live with, a, they have a risen life with Christ. He should be their life. And he's going to tell us in this verse, and we're going to see today, live with Christ as your focus Live with Christ as your focus. Jesus should be over everything in your life. So let's look at these verses today and read Colossians three fifteen through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, Singing hymns or singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. Let's pray. Father, help us as we look to focus on Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would see the importance of making Jesus over everything in our life. That we would live with a focus on Christ alone and not our own glory, but yours alone. That, Lord, we would do our jobs to teach others about Christ. And, Lord, I pray that the word of God would work in us today. Use these words through the Holy Spirit so that people would see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. The first thing we're going to look at in these verses, and we see this really the first, uh, the first verse here in verse 15 tells us 
to submit to the peace of Christ. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called to one body and be thankful. A person that has trusted Christ and asked him to forgive them of their sins is a person that is at peace with God. Not everybody in this world is at peace with God. But Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for for sin so that we can have peace with God. In fact, in this world, we see that peace is something we want. Uh, World leaders will strive for peace. Uh, We see people trying to stop wars. But Christ said in Matthew and Mark that there's going to be wars and rumors of war. People will cry out for peace and there will be no peace. And there's no peace apart from Jesus Christ. But there's two stages of peace. Peace, as it says in this in this, uh, the peace of Christ should rule us, as it says in these verses. The first thing that we we need to understand is peace with God. Peace with God happens when your sins are forgiven and you're reconciled to Jesus. Salvation makes us at peace with God. It says in Romans two, five, the problem that we have. It says, because you have your hard and impotent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There is a day that God will pour out his righteous wrath upon the sin of all mankind. And those that have sinned against God have not trusted him as their savior. The wrath of God will be poured out. They will be destroyed forever, eternity in hell. That's the truth of the word of God, whether you like it or not. It's the true word of God. If you are not at peace with God, if you've not trusted Christ as your savior, wrath is stored up for you. And that is what you have coming to you. However, Romans 5, 1 says that we can have peace with God and those that have trusted in him can have peace with him. It says in Romans 5, 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus And if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior and you've never had peace with God, there is an angst in your soul knowing that your sin separates you from the Savior. I would encourage you to do to do this today. I'd encourage you to admit that you're a sinner. Agree with God about your sin. God, I am a sinner. Repent of it. Admit that you're a sinner and repent of it. Then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he paid the penalty for your sin. And he rose again and confess that Jesus is your Lord. Submit to him as your savior. Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me. You are going to be the king of my life from here on out. That is how we have peace with God. Let me tell you, when we have peace with God, everything in this life changes. Our biggest problem in this world is not taxes, is not car payments, is not trying to get ahead in life. Our biggest problem is sin and the wrath of God coming against that. But when God saves us and forgives us, that peace that we have changes everything. But peace also comes. Jesus gives us peace with him and places that in the hearts of his children. It says in John fourteen twenty seven, peace I leave with you, Jesus says, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Only God can give us true peace with him and peace in our hearts that we are comforted. Philippians 4, 7 says this, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How is it that the world can be in chaos? Our families can be upset and we wonder what's going on. 
And we, we can still have peace with God. How can, as we heard in testimonies today, see lives change for God's glory, but go through such tough times knowing that God may do a work? Well, we know the peace of God rules in our hearts. He can be king in our hearts. But if you've never submitted to him as your king, you're probably not going to have peace. You're always going to be chasing after something better, something, something that's going to make you fulfilled. Maybe this new job, a new career, a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend, maybe a new spouse if I'm married. This will fulfill me. This will give me peace. And the only thing that gives us peace is Jesus Christ. The peace of Christ, as it says in this verse, is told, said that we, it should rule in our hearts. When it says rule, we sometimes think of a ruler, but this is really a word, and that under, that's an understanding that's a controlling idea, but the idea behind this word is like an umpire. And you've seen an umpire or a referee in a sport, and really, they make a call, and what their call says is what goes, right? They're the one that decides. They decide, hey, this person traveled in basketball. The ball is it's a turnover. It goes to the other team. That person, the referee, the umpire, decide what's going on. And this is the word that is used here by Paul to say the, the, the peace of Christ should rule our hearts. The peace of Christ should rule or umpire or decide what goes on in our hearts, what goes on in our life. It is the decisive factor in our decision makings. Jesus' mind, when we have the Word of God in our mind, we follow Christ and we let his, uh, the peace of Christ rule after us. The peace that we have in Christ can change everything in our life. Are you anxious and worried constantly? Possibly every single situation in your life you try to control. Maybe everybody around you you try to control. Maybe you get upset and disturbed when nobody follows what you want. Maybe your schedule gets messed up. This is convicting for me. Maybe things just change in your day-to-day routine and you blow up. You get frustrated and life goes chaotic because you're not in control. And who's often ruling everything in our lives? Well, it's me, self, my own desires. I want this. And I sometimes think, you know, I'm a pastor. I mean, I try to follow Jesus. I read the Bible this morning, so I can't be making mistakes. But the reality is, We're sinful people. And oftentimes what we do is say, instead of Christ, the peace of Christ ruling my heart, I'm going to be the ruler of my day and my life. The peace of Christ should rule all of our desires, all of our plans, everything. Is Christ ruling in your marriage, in your job, in everything you do? Also says in this verse, look at the end of verse 15. It says, to which indeed you are called in one body. It's very interesting that Paul unites this ruling of Christ to the body of Christ. He's saying that we should be called and we should be ruled by Christ, but we're actually called into a body. And so this this is actually a corporate explanation to us or or, or a, uh, a command to us that we should actually live at peace in one body or the universal church, but also especially this local church. We should live at peace with one another. This local church, this one body is a representation or or a representative of God's kingdom. We're all united to God's kingdom if we're believers, but this is the church that we should be concerned most about in our lives. And we should be concerned that we are at peace with one another. We should be concerned that we are actually at peace with God and with others in Christ. 
hopefully starting with our own family and our spouse, but especially with other believers. Hopefully you don't come to church here constantly thinking, I sure hope I don't have have to have a conversation with fill in the blank. I mean, just just think if that other person can be at peace with God and God can be at peace with them. Don't you too think don't you think that you also should be able to be at peace with them? But probably the situation is Christ isn't ruling in our hearts. So we have a hard time having peace with him and having peace with others. And what we want to do is give everybody a piece of our mind. The peace of Christ should rule our hearts and it should rule our relationships. It should rule how our church interacts with one another. It should help us to see God's forgiven me. I should forgive others. Verse two, the second verse we're going to look at here as God goes on and we see this theme that we really need to be that Jesus rules everything over everything that we need to be submitted under the rule of Christ. We see this in verse 16. Paul goes on and he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I put number two a little different. Number one, it says, submit to the peace of Christ. I mean, he tells us to let us do that. And then it says in verse 16, let the word let isn't. I mean, it's kind of like a passive command. You know, let this happen to you. And really, when the word dwells in us, we dwell in Christ. And so we sh- the word of God should be cr- center in our life. And here it's described as the word of Christ, the word of God or Christ, script, the scriptures about Jesus. Really, the whole whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a story f- or a book from God about his son, Jesus. And the word of Christ here may emphasize specifically his teachings and the teachings about Jesus. But as Christians, The word of God should live in us and rule over us. The word of Christ should, as it says, let the word of Christ live in you. It really is saying, let the word of Christ live in your life, live at home extravagantly. Let it be the thing that has residence in your life. The thing that that really is where you dwell, you dwell in the word of God. And the word of God dwells in you and it pours out of you. How do you do this? How does a person let the word of God dwell in their life? Well, Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says this. And these are key verses. I encourage you, if you struggle with how do I let the word of God in my life? These are critical verses. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How shall a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God should dwell in us so that we dwell in Christ. How does a person keep his life pure? It's through having the word in his life, which the word of God stays in their life. And Christ brings it to their mind. The Holy Spirit brings it to our mind. You know, our lives should be with the word of God. Our lives should be very similar to a sponge. You know, you may have never done the dishes or it's been a long time and uh, you should probably help your spouse out by doing that today or uh, kids. Our dishes were pretty full today. 
You get that sponge, right? And you leave it out on the counter, and after a day that's not been used, it kind of gets dry and crusty, right? As soon as you put it in water, it just soaks it back up. When you squeeze that sponge, water comes out of it. You leave it over there, and it gets dry and crusty again. Really, our lives with the Word of God are like that sponge. We should be soaking up the Scripture. But very much time away from the Word of God, our lives kind of dry out from it. All of a sudden, we, we're very... You want to switch to just the pulpit mic? We, we very quickly uh, start to dry out with the Word. It should be, we should be soaking it up daily. But very often, we sit there too long without touching the Word of God. We don't look at it. We don't touch it. We don't let it influence our life. But a person that constantly is soaking up the Word, that constantly is dwelling in the Word, what happens? Well, when pressure comes, when life squeezes them, what pours out of them? The Word of God. You may think, I'm not a very good reader. Well... Praise the Lord. There's lots of apps that can read the Bible to us. There's tons of ways that we can listen to Scripture. You may say, I just don't read Scripture well. I can read other things. Well, let me encourage you. Most of the books of the Bible can be read quickly. In fact, the Bible can be read actually slowly with dictation. The Bible can be read in 71 hours. And actually, a lot of the books of the Bible... Even over half of the New Testament uh, can be read in half of the books in the New Testament can be read in less than 20 minutes. The word of God can be consumed, but oftentimes the peace of Christ isn't ruling our life and Jesus isn't really over everything. And so the scripture becomes irrelevant to us. And all of a sudden, the word of Christ is not dwelling in us. And so Christ isn't ruling over us. And we struggle to let Christ dwell richly in us. But when the word of Christ dwells in us, and this is what he tells believers to do. This is to everybody, not just pastors. He says it. He says the word of Christ should not only dwell in us, but actually we should teach it and admonish one another. Look in verse 16 again. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And he says, pastors, teachers, all those leaders in the church. No, he didn't say that. He just said, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is people that are believers in the church. We all have a part in this. Teaching and admonishing one another. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be up in front of the church or in a class teaching, but you're going to be dwelling in the Word. The Word of Christ is coming out of you. And so with another believer, you're sharing Christ. This is what Christ is doing in the Word and in my life. These testimonies were so good to hear. But hopefully this isn't the only other the only time you hear other believers talking about Jesus. Let me encourage you, if you don't meet with other believers or talk about Christ or have time that you spend talking about how good God is and you never do that. I mean, the word of Christ is just not coming out of you. You're holding it all in. Or maybe you're not realizing how good God is to you in every area. Let the word of Christ dwell in your heart and then teach others. You know, all these other books that we can go to, I can go to the McAllen Library down the road just a couple miles and I can look at tons of books, lots of information. And all those other books in the library were given for our information. But the word of God was given for our transformation. The word of God was given so it would change us. 
Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is living. It is active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is alive. It's powerful. And you say, well, I can't teach. It's okay. Get scripture, read it, and then tell somebody, I read this in the Bible today. This is what the verse has said. You know what? You know who's powerful enough to do that and use that? Your testimony to somebody else? God is. And he uses that scripture to encourage other people and bring them to Jesus. And what do we do? We teach. And how? Well, with wisdom. And we teach. And one of the best ways that we teach is through songs. Music is an easy way for us to remember truth. It's amazing. People can't memorize a scripture verse, but they listen to a radio song for two weeks and all of a sudden it's stuck in their brain. You know, you put it on repeat in your playlist and you can sing the whole thing. And you think, man, what if I did that with one scripture verse? Maybe you could memorize it. Just a thought. But music really does help us to remember things. And he says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. Interesting, sometimes we have big fights and debates about music. And Paul here very clearly says, these are the songs that you sing out of the hymn book. And this is where you find it, right? Wrong. He just tells us we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And he really leaves it there. And sometimes we get really bent out of shape because somebody doesn't like the songs I like. We get mad about it. We think, really, Scripture is pretty clear. We sing songs about Jesus. And why do we do that? Well, to teach others and admonish one another and to lift each other up so that the word of Christ dwells in us. Not so for our own gain, not for my own uh, glory or for my own gratification. We sing psalms, which are really about the nature and work of God, especially in the lives of believers. And actually, we have a whole book of psalms. We can sing those hymns. Are songs primarily of praise which exalt God, specifically Jesus Christ. And really, it it ties in theology. And you may think, well, it's just hymns that are written from this time to this time, because that's what I like the most. We should sing hymns that were written thousands of years ago to hymns that are being written today. And spiritual songs are probably songs of testimony that covered really a broad category that included almost any music expressing spiritual truth. And you think, well, does my favorite song meet that? I think if it exalts Christ and Christ is the centerpiece of it and it uplifts him and the word of God, it's probably what we're talking about here. We should sing songs, spiritual songs, teaching one another is is your singing today when you sang, were you singing just to get gratification for yourself? Maybe you sang your favorite song or you sang all songs that you didn't love. But you know what the purpose of some of the singing is as a corporate body of believers Our singing together is to teach and admonish one another. And so you singing out with all your heart to God, saying, Lord, glory to God in the highest or worthy of worship, or his mercy is more. You singing that out with your heart, glorifying God is helping teach others that Jesus is ruling in my heart and he can rule in your heart too. But when we sit there and sing very quietly, or we sit and never say a word, I don't want to sing this song, really shows our heart condition. 
Maybe Jesus isn't ruling over us, but simply our opinions and our ideas of what we love the most. But when the word of Christ dwells in us, it should come out of us like that sponge gets squeezed and the water pours out of us. It should pour out of us. And so when we sing, we should lift our voices to our king and say, you rule us. You rule in my heart. You've saved me. Let me make sure everybody else knows that because I'm worshiping you alone and not myself. Christianity is a singing religion. An atheist really has no songs to sing. I have no God. Death is the end. I mean, maybe that's what secular music is often about. But Christianity is a singing religion. Robert Ingersoll, an agnostic, said at my funeral, there will be no singing. But you contrast that with a believer's funeral and they're singing. The Roman Empire knew that there was a new force coming into this world. The word of God was spreading. The acts of the apostles was spreading. Why? Because the Christians were singing as they fearlessly entered the amphitheater as lions were awaiting them to be killed by gladiators for the entertainment of other people. Christians are there singing out praise to God. Glory to God in the highest. And we sit in an air-conditioned building and we can't sing out to our Jesus that died for us. If you show me a church that sings out to God, I'll show you a church that is living for Christ. But if you show a church that people don't care to sing and don't want to sing out to Christ, I'll show you a church that is dying and dead. We should be a singing religion. We are a singing church. We sing it out. Whether or not it's your favorite song ever, sing it out. Let God know. That's how we teach and admonish one another. He says in verse 17, as if we haven't heard this about Christ over everything enough, he says in verse 17, whatever you do, do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything in the name of Christ. A Christian is a person that has been saved from their sin. Their life has been changed. We have peace with God. The word of God has been given to us to dwell in us. It pours out of our life. And so the word of God and the rule of Christ should compel us to live for Christ. We're controlled by Christ. And so everything that we do should identify with Christ. Your identification. Your identification with Christ should compel you. It should motivate you. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then you bear the name of Christian. Christ follower. You are a Christian. You've identified with Him. Everything you do should be reflecting Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Very similarly, as this verse says here in Colossians 3.17, everything we do should be for the glory of Christ. To make His name great and give thanks. You mean when I have a really bad day at work, I should still live with the name of Christ and giving thanks to Him? Yes. You mean Christ should control me even when my spouse is acting irrationally toward me? Or maybe I have acted irrationally towards them and now we're having this discussion or more? Yeah. Christ should compel you to live for him and give thanks. He should control you. Everything we do should be for him and to make his name famous. You know, 
many people go throughout their life trying to get gain, to get the biggest house, the best car, the best things. And our life goes through uh, people go through their life doing every word and every deed that they do for themselves or maybe for their family and for their kids. I just want my kids to have the best whatever GPA, best scholarship offers them to have the best college. And yet in their life, they forget to give their kids the thing that would be the most important. The example of a mom and dad that lived with Jesus ruling over everything. They forget to give them an example of the word of Christ dwelling in their lives, soaked up so that it comes out. Instead, we live lives, our marriages, and sometimes we even see it as a single person may say, you know what, I don't want to get married for how many years because I've got so much to build up. The word of God should should dwell in us so that Christ can control us and all this should make us thankful. Very interesting as how Paul did in the three verses before this, he mentioned forgiveness three times. And Paul sometimes mentions things in threes. If you look back in verse 15, he tells us, and be thankful. And he says in the end of verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He says in the end of verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Each one of these verses tells us to be thankful. We're thankful for the peace of God. We're thankful that he gave us the word of God so that we can sing and know him. And we should be thankful that we can live a life that every single thing we do, we can give glory to him. What a life that we can live, that we can give glory, that we can give glory to the almighty creator of the universe. You may think, well, I have to do something great. No, he says in everything you do in word or deed, we can give thanks to him and we can glorify him with thankfulness. Sometimes our lives look very mundane day after day, doing very similar things. We sometimes wish for greatness or think for things that are extreme. But you know what? In our lives, if we simply said, I did a few things in my life, I submitted to God's rule. You know, the word of God dwelled in me so that when things got squeezed, the word of God came out of me. And, you know, everything I did, every word or deed I did for Christ. I think I'll hear at the end of this end when I trusted him and at the end of my life, I'll hear that. Well done. And he won't say, man, your bank account wasn't big enough. Your house wasn't great enough. Your college scholarship for your kids wasn't cool enough. You didn't get all this. What he will say is you live for me. Well done. Aren't our minds so focused on the wrong things? Let's reorient our minds so that the peace of Christ can rule in us, so that we study the word of Christ and it dwells in us and it comes out of us. And Christ is exalted because we're thankful to him. Let me finish with this. You remember that that little rebus, that story, that thing or that little picture? I'm sorry, the little word that you're supposed to see. We'll put it up there one more time. This is how many of us live our lives. What is it? Me over everything. But what should it be? It really should be Jesus over everything. Is Jesus over everything in your life? You may even have little areas that you're like, well, Jesus is over most of it. But there's a few areas I'm keeping to myself. No, no. 
When Jesus is over everything, it means everything. Those little areas that you may be hiding and saying, God, I don't want you to have, let go of them today. And as we sing, or as we pray and as we sing, I'd encourage you, even where you're at, to say, Lord, help me to make you over everything in my life. If you'd have questions about your salvation or things that you would like to ask us, we'll be here after the service, and we'd love to talk to you about it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is so good to be able to see the Word of God. Lord, it is so convicting uh, as this scripture just convicts me in so many areas. Lord, I pray that you would uh, work in my life so that I can truly say Jesus is over everything. And Lord, as probably some have been convicted here, Lord, of areas that are not under your submission, that may be holding out or maybe even their whole life is just totally running against you. I pray, Lord, that they would see today the need to submit all things to you. I pray, Lord, that Jesus would rule over everything in our life. Lord, we live in a world that is very wicked today. We have marriages that are in shambles, people that are really ruining families, running from you, living for their own desires. But Lord, we've heard testimony today of your amazing grace of even people that have for lot for their life run again, ran in a headlong race against you. But Lord, have recently come to submit to you. I pray, Lord, that we could even rejoice in some today that would submit to you. Lord, work. You promise to do so through your word. Do that in our church. In Jesus name. Amen.